everybody else. And so Paul, Paul, I think, is making the argument here that if we could earn our righteousness, if we could do these things to please God, if these things were necessary for us to be righteous before God, I certainly would be preaching them because I understand and I was doing that. And so it's adding more weight to his argument that my argument is don't have confidence in the flesh. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your confidence in him. And I know what I'm talking about. So Paul could have had confidence in the flesh. Um, and then point two here, we're gonna, and this is we're going to spend a lot of time on because there's a lot in here, but it's Paul's immaculate resume. We have been interviewing people at my work, so resumes have been in the forefront of my mind recently. Um, so I think that's why I chose the word. But, but his resume, Philippians 3, 5, and 6, he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrews of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now as you read through this, um, we come to the understanding that these are all human standards. These are all what the Jews would say, hey, you need to do these things and you're going to be right with God. Paul's listed them in that regard. He's not saying that because he did these things it makes him better before God. He's saying in human terms as the Jews were looking at it, Paul was doing everything right, everything the Jews said, this is what a good Jew is supposed to be. This is how you earn your righteousness before God. And Paul's just, just giving his credentials saying, I've done all this stuff. I've met their standard. You know, they're saying you need to do this. I've done that. Let me bring you my conclusion after that. So we're going to look at his resume here because these are all important things. Um, so first thing he says, he was circumcised the eighth day. Now, why is that important? Okay, so Jewish law, it, you're commanded to do that. That's important. But why was this important to a Jew? Okay, you didn't do it. You weren't part of God's plan. You weren't part of God's nation. You were outside the covenant, outside the promise. And so not only was it commanded, but this was the sign that you belonged with God's people. You belonged as part of them. It's interesting, too. I mean, we, we go back to verse 3 where Paul says, We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Now, he's talking to Gentiles here. Many of them weren't physically circumcised, but he's saying you're the circumcision because you're worshiping God, because you're doing the right things before God, you're trusting in him and his righteousness instead of trusting in yourself. And he's saying, he's making a point here, that makes you circumcised, that makes you part of God's program, that you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. It's not something you do, it's something God has done for you. Uh, so he, he's making this point here now, though, about being circumcised the eighth day that he was a Jew. Now this was a contentious point in the church, if you don't already know that. Um, we're going to look at Acts uh, 15, 1 through 2, first of all. So, uh, 1 through 2 and 5, I put them all together. Matt, go ahead and read those. Thank you. 
So you can see this is in the early church. Acts 15 is very early along here. Um, some of the Jews said, look, the Gentiles aren't being circumcised. They're not keeping the law. How can they be right before God? How can they be part of the church if they're not following what the law says? And Paul and Barnabas were arguing with them, and they said, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go talk to the apostles, the elders. Let's get this cleared up. Um, I didn't put the conclusion of that, but I wanted to show you that this was a, a contention there. The conclusion was that the, uh, James got up and said, we have no such custom in the church. He's basically saying this is not necessarily to be part of, of God's program. This is not necessarily to be necessary to be a Christian. This is not necessary to be righteous before God. Um, but, but this is something that was coming up, and I think it's still coming up. You go back to, to Galatians 6, and that's our next passage. Let me read this. This is a little bit later on. Lynn, go ahead. So this was later on, he's writing to Galatians, and this is still an issue. There's people, there's Jews coming to church that are saying, you still need to be circumcised. And here they actually, he actually gives three reasons why. First of all, that if they're circumcised, when the Jews start persecuting, they can say, oh, wait, no, look, we're circumcised, we're Jews, we're okay. You know, we may be doing things a little bit differently, but we're still, we're still part, of, part of being under law. So they're, they're making that excuse. You see that in verse 12. Verse 13, um, he talks about that they try to keep the law, but they can't do it. But that's their goal, is that they're trying to keep the law. They're trying to earn their righteousness through doing the things that God prescribed in the law instead of trusting in Christ's righteousness for them. And then uh, thirdly there, uh, that they may boast in your flesh, that they may look, say, look, we've converted these people to doing the Jew Jewish thing. They're all Jewish believers now. Look at what we've done. And there's a boasting in that. So... So this is still a problem in Galatians 6, which is much later than Acts 15. So it's, it's, it's fair to say that in Philippians, this is still coming up. This is still a problem. People are still coming in and saying, you need to do this. You need to follow the law, starting with circumcision, and add this on and add this on and add this on, because you can't be righteous unless you start doing these other things. God's not going to favor you. God's not going to show his grace to you unless you're trying to keep up with his law. And Paul's saying that's not what's going on. That's not what God's doing. God's righteousness comes from Christ alone. Um, so the so first thing he starts out is with, with being circumcised. And that was a big deal for the Jews. That's your part of the nation. And Paul says, I got that. Then he says the next thing, he's of the stock of Israel. And um, this is important because being born of a certain group, in this case being born of Israel, puts you into the nation, puts you into the promise, and so the Jews would say, this is a good thing. He's, he's from Israel. He's an Israelite. Um, they, they took in proselytizer. They were converts to Judaism, but if you were a true Israeli Jew, that was, that was a thumbs up for you. That was a gold star. Um, and that doesn't, and Paul's, I think, is making the point here, though, even though I have that, you don't need that to be right with God. What you need is to put your faith and your trust in Christ. It's not about being of a certain group. This, uh, you know, there, I think there was a time in our nation where Americans kind of got a little bit full of themselves. I don't know if you've noticed that. But you go around the world, and if you're an American, you have rights. You are, you are the top of the top. And, 
Um, in God's eyes, that doesn't work. In God's eyes, we're all sinful. We all disobeyed God. We all are under God's wrath. And it's only because of what Christ has done for us that we can be saved and that we can have the righteousness of God. Uh, so let's look at a couple of verses here. 2 Corinthians 11.22. Go ahead, Ryan. And here in 2 Corinthians, he's having the same kind of argument here. Like, if you're not doing the Jewish thing, there's something wrong. And then he starts off by saying, you know, they're, they're going around saying, look, we're Hebrews, you're Gentiles, we're better than you. And Paul is saying, I'm a Hebrew, and I'm not preaching that. I, I'm, I'm an Israelite, I'm not preaching that. I'm born of Abraham. I'm preaching something different. So just because I'm a Jew doesn't mean I'm saying you have to be a Jew you have to be right with God under God's plan, under the way God does it. Nathan, your hand has been up for a while. It's actually, uh, there's false teachers in the human church that are coming in and saying that Paul's manipulating them, taking their money that they're saying supposedly to give somewhere else and stuff like that. So he's actually in the process of building up his case that, look, here's who I am, here's what I've done. These guys are attacking me. It's not what's happening. And actually, That's a good point. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. But, um, you know, I, I think, too, for this discussion, too, Paul can say he has that. Yeah. Um, in Romans 9, we'll read that one. That's a good one here. Uh, Romans 9, 3 through 6. Go ahead, Jonathan. Now, if you make the argument that being a Hebrew puts you in better standing with God, being of the Jewish line puts you in better standing with God, which Paul says, I can make if I'm trusting my flesh, Romans 9 says quite the opposite. Paul says, I wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren. He's saying, I wish that in order for my brethren to save, if I had to give away my salvation, I would do that so that Israel could be saved, so Israel can know God. Well, if they're already saved, if they're already in the right place with God because they're Israel... That doesn't make any sense. And then in verse 6 there, um, the word has not, of God has taken no effect, but it's not that the word of God has taken no effect. They are not all Israel who are Israel. What, do, what does that mean? You're either Israel or you're not Israel. How can you not be all Israel if you're Israel? Well, it's a spiritual Israel as composed to a genetic Israel. Not all those who are born to the nation of Israel, not all the Jews are doing the things God wants them to do because they're not trusting in God. They're not trusting in Christ, who, by the way, he says, you know, he came from Israel, so they should be following him. He's their Messiah. He's the God who saved them. And they're not putting their faith in him, and so they're missing the boat. And so just being an Israelite doesn't mean that you have it made with God. 
But Paul's saying, I could, I could brag about that. I could say, hey, look, I'm an Israelite. I, I, I'm in God's people. I'm, I'm blessed by him. Look at me. I'm Paul. I have some awesome things going for me. He's just not saying that. My family were Christians for six generations. Yeah, it's not about who your parents were, what family you're born to. It's have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you putting your trust in him for your righteousness, for your salvation? Um, so he goes on to say he's of the stock of Israel. Not only that, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, that's great. There are 12 tribes. You were of one of them. That's part of Israel. What does that mean? Well, a couple of things. First of all, Benjamin was a prominent tribe in Israel. Um, there were a lot of benefits about being from Benjamin. It was a prestigious kind of thing to say. Um, it's like me saying I'm from Wisconsin. That makes me much better. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, but it, but it was, this was something, if you could say you were from Benjamin, that meant something over some, most of the other tribes. And so this was like one of the, the top things to say. But not only that, Paul could trace his line to the tribe of Benjamin. Because of what happened, because of the captivity and stuff, a lot of Jews, even though they knew they were Jews, lost their direct line. They weren't, it was a little bit cloudy, which tribe you belong to, this one or that one. Paul said, I'm so much a Hebrew that I know that my ancestors come from Benjamin. There's a, there's a line I can trace all the way back there. And so I'm not one of these cloudy Hebrews that, you know, you're a Jew, but you're not sure where you're from. I can show you that I'm from Benjamin. That's like, look at me, okay? Um, you know, I, one of the things, I, I don't follow sports a lot, but I, I've heard a couple of stories here. Um, has anybody heard of LeBron James? Okay. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't ask the question. You've all heard of LeBron James, mostly. He has a son who's in college right now, Bronny. Um, and th there's talk about, like, you know, this guy is going to be, uh, he hasn't played as much in college. He hasn't scored a lot of points. But somebody's going to draft him because with Bronny, they get LeBron because he's probably going to go where his son goes to play with him for the rest of his career. Um, or maybe the Lakers will draft Bronny and they'll be the guy. Anyway, the idea is, here's, here's NBA royalty. You got LeBron James and he has a son and we're going to give special privilege to his son because he's the son of LeBron James. And, uh, you know, Paul's kind of saying, look, I'm religious royalty here. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Look at me. I, you guys, yeah, you're, I know you're Jews and you might be from Gad or you might be from uh, Manasseh or whatever, but I'm from Benjamin. And I can prove I'm from Benjamin. I, I'm 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 a Jew of Jews here. I'm I'm top dog, and, and that that's kind of the idea that he says when he says he's from the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying this is a point that the Jew would look at and go, "Wow, that Paul, that guy, that's he's a good Jew. He's he's what I want to be." Um, so he says that. Then he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, he just said he's from Israel. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. What do you mean by he's a Hebrew of Hebrews? I think this means he embodies what a Jew would want to be. That, um, you know, if you look at that, he, he's not only just a Hebrew, but he's the Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, oh, I want to be like him. I want to I be, be a Paul kind of Jew. I want to do what Paul does. I want to act the way Paul does. I want to understand things the way Paul understands things. He's topping that. Let's look at Acts 26.4. Nathan, go ahead. Spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, 
So he's recounting to uh, the, um, I think this was before Agrippa here, and Agrippa is, was a Jewish king, um, and he's talking about his prestige here, where he came from, and, and he makes this point. Um, he, he spent his time among his own nation, learning his own customs, doing, doing the things that the Jews would want to do. In fact, it's, it's so good, all the Jews know my background. They know where I came from. They know my prestige. They know who I am. There's no doubting this. Agrippa, you know who I am because you're a Jew and you know where Paul comes from. He's that much of a Jew. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's, he's the ultimate example of what a Jewish person aspires to be. It's just to be like Paul. Um, so he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, it says he's a doer of the law concerning the law of Pharisee. Um, the Pharisee here, this was a position of religious prestige. These were the religious leaders in Israel. These were the people who guided the people into what the Jewish laws and customs were. This is, you listen to the Pharisees and they told you, you, you wash your hands this way, you walk this way, you do this, you, you only walk 1.3 miles on the Sabbath or you're breaking the law. And they'll, they'll explain everything to you. And Paul says, I was in that group. I was in that religious prestigious group. I was one of the rulers over the spirituality of Israel. Um, going to a couple passages there, Acts 23, 6. Another reader, please. Go ahead, Abigail. But when Paul perceived that one part were said deceiving the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am now he's being judged before the Jewish Sanhedrin here. And part of this is he's, he's going to cause a little bit of chaos in the council by bringing up something that one group believes and the other group doesn't, and so they can argue over whether he's right or wrong. But before he does that, look at that. He says, I am a Pharisee, and I'm the son of a Pharisee. So not only am I part of that group, <laughs> I grew up in that group. I, my father was a Pharisee, and I know this life. I know what this is about. I know everything about being a Pharisee. I'm, I'm one of you guys. And again, he's trying to cause a little conflict and, and, and trouble. He's a little bit of a troublemaker in this council here. But um, he can say that honestly. He can say, this is my prestige. This is where I came from. I was not only in that top religious group, the people that knew everything, that, that ruled over what your religious life looked like, but I came up from a family that was in that group. My father was even doing this. That's how, how much of a Pharisee I was. And he could say that, and he could have confidence in that if that was the way that he earned his righteousness before God. He goes on to say he's concerning zeal persecuting the church. So he was zealous. In fact, so zealous, he was persecuting the church. Now, why? Did I miss a verse? Oh, yep, okay, thank you. 26.5, who wants to read that? Jenny, you want to do that? So here he's back before Agrippa. This is the passage right after 26.4. I was going to put them together, and then they kind of made two different points, so I separated them. But here he says, uh, if they're willing to testify, they'll tell you, I lived according to the strictest sect of Pharisees. I was so religious. I was in the top group that did everything that you're supposed to do, that followed the law to a T. We were strict. We followed everything God commanded us. And so, yeah, so he's a Pharisee. Okay, going back to being zealous now. And we go to, uh, he, was, he was zealous, and he was 
persecuting the church. So how does that go together? Jews didn't like the church. The church was something different. They weren't preaching the law. They were preaching grace. They weren't preaching that you had to do these things that Paul's listing here, be circumcised, be a Hebrew, uh, follow the law, follow the commandments, teach those. They weren't teaching any of that. They were teaching that you could trust in Jesus Christ and you would be right with God. And Paul, as a Jew, before his salvation, saw that and said, that's wrong, I'm standing for God, I'm going to do what's right, and we're going to get rid of this sect called the church. We're going to get rid of these Christians because they're not following what God commanded us in the Old Testament. That's where the zealous comes in there. Now, he was wrong in that, we find out later, but um, he, that's what he, he taught and that's what he believed. Let's look at a couple of passages, Acts 8.3. Go ahead, Isabel. So this is part of what he was doing. He went into the house of Christians, arrested them, dragged them off, threw them in prison. That's how serious he was for God. That's how serious he was for what he believed God wanted him to do. Uh, Galatians 1.13. Another reader, please. Josiah, go ahead. So two things. How much did he persecute the church of God? It was beyond measure. There's nobody else that was even that zealous for God and that his goal was he was trying to destroy the church. And again, it wasn't because he was a mean, hateful person, although he was a mean, hateful person, but not because he thought that. He, he was thinking he was doing God a favor. He was doing the right thing for God, that he was serving God and destroying the church. He had a zealousy for God, and the Jews approved of this. When they were stoning Stephen, they, they were all there, and Paul was there you know, standing over it, giving his approval, and this was a good thing according to the Jews. We're killing off this Christian. Great. Maybe this will stop the church. Maybe this will keep this from going on. Well, 2,000 years later, we're still around here, aren't we? It didn't stop anything. Um, so, But Paul was zealous. And then uh, the last thing he says in this passage here is that concerning the righteousness, righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, has anybody, has anybody ever perfectly followed the law? Okay, Jesus. Outside of Jesus, <laughs> thank you for that theology. Outside of Jesus, have any one of us been able to perfectly follow God's commandments, to do everything that God has told us we need to do? <laughs> well, well, you look at that, even like with the sacrifices, a lot of times the, the, the Bible talks about the, you can come and bring a sacrifice for an unintentional sin. But if it was intentional, there wasn't a lot of forgiveness there. How many of us intentionally sin that we know what's right and we still do what's wrong? Yeah, we would be, uh, I, I, I speak for myself, I'm going to speak for you also. I think we'd be in a lot of trouble if we were still under the law. We, we are selfish, um, self-centered, depraved, sinful individuals. And even as saved people, sometimes we act that way. Sometimes we revert back. We shouldn't, but we do. And it, it's hard. Well, anyway, so Paul's saying here, and I'm getting off track what he's saying. He's saying concerning righteousness and the law blameless. This doesn't mean he kept the law perfectly, but this means that his outward appearance before the Jews, he did the things that the Jews wanted him to do. And, and this wasn't necessarily, I followed the Bible, but this is, I followed the traditions. I followed what 
uh, was being taught how we had to do it. I was perfect in that. I was doing the Jewish thing. Unfortunately, it wasn't what God wanted to do. But that's what he was doing. He was, he was following the law. So concerning his righteousness, and this was righteousness that, that people could see, that people could measure, that people would say, look at Paul. He's, he's keeping the customs. He's, he's watching, washing his place the right way. He's you know, circumcising. He's been circumcised. He's been uh, going to synagogue every Saturday and all, all this stuff, you could, whatever you fill in there. He was doing that perfectly, and he was blameless. None of the Jews would say, oh, Paul messed up today. Oh, They'd be like, Paul, that guy is like, he's so faithful to the Jewish way, he continues to do it. And again, he misses the point of uh, the righteousness can only come from God through faith in him. But as far as being a Jew, this is, he was doing what the Jews saw was right. Uh, Romans 7, 7 through 11. Olivia, go ahead. So Paul, in Romans, has, has understood what's going on here. It's not that the law is bad. It's not that following the law is bad. In fact, if you could perfectly follow the law, you would earn your righteousness before God. The problem is, is that once we know the law, we see that we don't follow the law. Once we know what the law is, we, we, our eyes are open and it says, hey, you messed up. You didn't do it right. In fact, the law, it seems to be the way Paul teaches that when we have the law, it stirs up our sinful desire that our sinful desire says, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. It actually produces more sin in us because of the human nature that's in us. Um, and so, verse 11, for instance, he says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it killed me. The law didn't help him to be more righteous. The law actually made him see that he was more unrighteous than he thought. Now, the Jews are missing this whole point of what the law does. They're thinking, I can keep the law, I can do the customs, I can act like a Jew, and God's going to look on that, and he's going to smile and say, well, you did great. And Paul is saying here now in, in Romans that, no, you can't. That's not what the law does. The law shows us our sin and shows us that we need a solution to that. But again, as far as being a Jew... Paul looked like he was doing the right things. He looked like if anybody's righteous before God, it's Paul. He's, he's walking in the ways the Jews walk. He's doing the things that the law requires. Paul is that guy. And, and Paul brings that out. You know, in all these things, I, I don't miss a mark according to what these Jewish people are telling you, that you need to be circumcised and you need to put yourself back under the laws of church. If anybody does, that's me. Look at this. I have the prestige. I have the resume. I have everything that says, as a Jew... I'm doing it right before God. Then you get to Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. And so I put this as Paul's true value. He doesn't value what's in his resume. He values something else. And we're going to continue this next or two weeks from now.
But it starts with, say, the things that were gained to him, the, the things that are the human accomplishments, the things he did in the flesh, the things he just listed in the last two verses. The things that make him look like he has everything right before God. He says, these things, I'm going to count loss for Christ. Why is that? Because he didn't accomplish anything? Because he wasn't doing good things? Well, because those things can't bring about God's righteousness. And so what is he going to do with them? Cling to them and say, I'm going to still hold on to them and hope that it's still good enough? No, he understands it's not. He understands that his righteousness does not come from who he is, what he's accomplished, what he's done. You know, you as a person can work in a food kitchen seven days a week and can help old ladies across the street with their groceries and uh, you can even be out there preaching the word of God, but if you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, you've missed the point. You cannot put confidence in your flesh. So he's counted loss. This word counted means to be reckoned or considered. He evaluates what he's done. He's looked at it and said, look, here's who I am. This is what I've accomplished. This is what it looks like. It, but I'm going to look at it honestly and say, I have not met God's perfect standard. And no matter how much good I, I do, no matter how much I follow the law, no matter how much of a Hebrew of a Hebrews I am, it doesn't meet what God requires for me. So he counted loss. These things were not sufficient to provide salvation or righteous standing before God. He couldn't do enough to earn God's righteousness. And then he adds this phrase at the end, for Christ, I count these things to loss for Christ. The things which he has in Christ far surpass what he accomplished in himself. That's where his trust is. That's where his rejoicing is. He's commanding the church, don't put your confidence in the flesh, but rejoice in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in what God has done for you. Put your focus on that. And as people might say, well, they don't understand. They're Gentiles. Let's teach them the Jewish way, and then they'll get it. Paul says, no, I get it, and I know better. I know that I can't put any confidence in my own flesh. I need to put my confidence in God. Um, John MacArthur writes an interesting thing. I put the quote in here. I don't do this every week, but I, you know, I like a lot of what MacArthur says. This is in his commentary from page 226. Um, he says, in this passage, Paul speaks of salvation. Uh, I think that should be as a transaction or exchange. He uses business and accounting terminology. In verse 7 and 8, from the heart of the, from the, heart of the passage, uh, this word kirdas, gain, describes what the pro, is in the profit column. Zemia, the loss, is what is in the loss column. And hegegome uh, means to count or to reckon. Paul spent his life accumulating what he imagined was personally earned righteousness that would achieve salvation. When he was living, like a, when he was living as a Jew, doing the Jewish things, being a Pharisee, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, this is what he was doing. He was accumulating this credit with God. I'm going to put this in my... my um, my gain column here. This is what I've done, God. Look at me. I'm Paul. I'm doing what you want me to do. Um, but when he met Christ, the apostle realized that those things which were actually in the lost column, he had placed them in the wrong column. It wasn't in the gain column. It was a lost column. He exchanged them for the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so Paul thankfully realized that all the things that he thought he was doing good, all the things that he had going for him, all the prestige, all the actions, everything that was there wasn't enough. And now he counts those things lost for Christ. And the next uh, 
part of the passage talks about what he means by counting loss for Christ. So we're going to look at that next week. But before we do, we've got one more passage, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Ted, you haven't read yet. You know, for a while, and even up to recently, I didn't quite understand what Jesus was talking about in these parables. But you look at this, and you look at salvation being that treasure, or the salvation being that one pearl that he wants to buy. Look what he gives for that. He sells everything. He gives up everything for the sake of having that one pearl or that one treasure. That's what our salvation is like. We trust in ourselves. We get all this stuff. We get all these possessions, the spiritual possessions. I've done this. I'm a good person. You know, God's a good God. He's not going to punish me. There's a lot of people worse than me. I'm not Hitler. And we make up all these excuses why we're okay before God. And then we come to the truth of what God has done for us and where we truly stand before God. And our response ought to be, okay, I'm giving up all that stuff that I thought was good about me, all that stuff that I thought I did for God. And I'm going to embrace what God has done for me. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. I'm counting all this stuff, all, this, all these good things I did. And Paul, you know, as wrong as he was, as a Jew, he thought he was doing these things for God. Even when he persecuted the church, even when Stephen was killed before him, he thought still he was doing what was right before God and earning that praise from God because of the things that he was doing. And when he came to know who Christ was and what Christ did for him, he put that all away and said, I'm not trusting any of that anymore. I'm trusting what God has done for me. And so I think that parable makes a little more sense to me now. A um, couple takeaways here. Are you trusting in your good actions to earn your righteousness before God? You know, a lot of times pride and trust go hand in hand. We get prideful about things we do. We get prideful about... Uh, the good things in our life, and we miss on the fact that it's God working in us. Um, if we're an unsaved person, uh, you know, they, they think they're okay, but they need to understand that they're not, and they need Christ's sacrifice for them. Um, for the saved person, you know, sometimes we think, okay, I'm, I'm doing good things, I'm going to church, I'm serving, I'm being kind to people, I'm helping people out. You know, God's really proud of what I'm doing. No, God wants you to trust and glorify in him, not in yourselves. Um, so there's nothing we can do in order to meet God's standard for us. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Um, number two, knowing that we have not met God's standard, but our righteousness is from Christ alone, our thinking ought to be altered. Instead of focusing on ourselves and looking for our gain in glory, you know, when you're thinking that you're doing good, when you're thinking you're doing the right things, what does that tends to happen? You tend to focus on what can I do next to promote myself, to make myself feel better, to make myself feel more good before God. But when we focus on what Christ has done for us and give him the glory, then our focus shifts to glorifying and serving Christ and putting others ahead of ourselves. And that's what chapter 2 was talking about. So this all relates together, funny enough. As Paul's writing, that, that your mind... Uh, be on others, to focus on others, to um, esteem others better than yourselves, to have Christ's mindset, which was a mindset of sacrifice, of putting aside his glory, putting aside his own prestige and focus and doing what God the Father wanted. And Paul's saying, you have that mindset. This all relates together, that 
what prevents us oftentimes from having that kind of mindset is that we focus too much on ourselves and what we're doing and what we want to be honored and glorified for instead of focusing on giving the glory and giving the honor and trusting in God and having him be our confidence. And that's what Paul, I think, is trying to get to here. So any thoughts or questions or concerns or comments? Lynn, go ahead. That's right. Um, you know, there's even even the good that unsaved people do. I'm I'm fairly convinced from what I've studied and what I understand that the good that unsaved people do is still for themselves to make themselves feel good, to make themselves look good, to get the praise of others. There's always there seems to always be a selfish motivation in that the only way that you can do things that are truly good without any of that attached is if you're focused on pleasing God and, and honoring him and giving him the glory. And, you know, we, we can sit here and start thinking, oh, I'm doing good. I'm, but then that, that gets back to what that selfish motivation was again. We're putting confidence in our own flesh that I'm doing this, look at how good I am. Instead of saying, look what God has saved me from and how he's grown me and how he's done this through me and used me as his servant. And I think... That's what what kind of focus we need to have. Ted. And I, I, I yeah. And I think this helps focus us more on giving the gospel because when we start thinking about us and our glory, then we don't want to be associated with people that aren't living for God. But when we focus on giving God the glory, having our confidence in him, then every opportunity becomes an opportunity to bring praise and glory to God and sharing the gospel and seeing someone saved and all that obviously goes to God's glory. Some plant and some water, and God gives the increase. The other thing that I, I thought was interesting you said was that, uh, I don't remember how you said it, but it made me think, you know, if you look at what worldly philosophy and worldly counseling, all this stuff is, where do they start out at? They start out at, you have to love yourself. You have to be kind to yourself. You have to, you know, focus on doing what's best for you first. 
And Christianity is the opposite. The Christianity, you love God, you focus on him, and then you love others around you. And you're last in that list. And they're not the same. The world is telling you one thing, like it's all about you, and Christianity is saying, no, it's all about Jesus Christ. And that's the difference. And guess what? One of them works. When it's, when it's done and people are faithful and consistent, it, it works when we focus on Christ. And so we need to remember that. Anyway, anything else? Trying to get done early, but you keep asking questions, so it's not my fault. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, what we're going to do before we close in prayer here, um, I want to give you some instructions. I think some of the ladies have already left to go set stuff up, but until they have everything set up, if you don't have any business setting up food, Let's stay out of the fellowship area. Just hang out in the auditorium. And then when everything's ready, we'll have everybody come in. Because that way, you, you kind of stay out of the way. It just makes it a little easier, and they don't have to bump around buys. And especially those of you who have kids, which is mainly me. Um, keep your kids out of there. <laughs> so let's go ahead and close in prayer. Um, Lemuel, will you close us in prayer?